Well, welcome, Crossway, once again to our time together around God's Word this morning. Um, this is, without question, um, the thing that we want to be focused in on this morning. Um, I want all of our attention to be given to God's Word as we gather around His Word together. I hope you're feeling the same as well. I'm going to share a little bit with you at the end of the message about our thoughts going forward. But for now, let's give ourselves, let's focus our attention, our minds, and our hearts right here on God's Word. Uh, but first, children, I uh, want you to lean in a little bit with me because I have some pictures that I want to show you this morning. Maybe you've noticed, uh, I've got a lot of pictures behind me on my desk. Most of those pictures are of my children uh, who grew up in this church just like you are. But this picture is a picture actually of my dad. Um, this is my dad. This is me when I was just a little guy, probably three or four years old, and we're on a family camping trip. You can see our tent in the back there. That's my brother. But this is my dad. And I loved my dad, um, not just when I was a boy, but even as I grew up into manhood, I loved my dad. He was one of the great heroes of my life. And one of the really cool things that my dad did was when he was about my age, roughly, roughly 60 or so years old, he started planting apple trees. And in fact, eventually he planted 12 hundred apple trees on our property, 28 different varieties of apples. In fact, if we were together right now, I'd turn to you and I'd ask you, what's your favorite kind of apple? Mine was something called a Jonagold. It was so juicy and just the right amount of tartness. I loved going out into the orchard uh, in the fall and the trees would just be loaded with apples. Here's another little picture of um, one of our apple trees and you can see obviously the apples there hanging on that branch if you look closely and I know you know this that branch isn't just kind of floating in the air that branch is connected back to the tree trunk where all the good stuff is coming to make those apples so beautiful and so full of life and we would go out during the season, the apple picking season, and some seasons we would pick hundreds and hundreds of bushels of apples. Here's a picture of one of those bushels. It's actually an apple crate, and you can see it's just full of beautiful apples. I think those look like Ida Reds, and they were a beautiful apple. And you know what the next thing to do is, right? You know what you do. You eat them. Now, you don't sit down and eat a whole bushel. You eat one at a time. In fact, here's a picture of our daughter, Madeline, when she's just one year old. And you can see she's doing her best to get her hands around that apple and to get her teeth into that apple. And she's about to experience one of the greatest things in the world, the taste of a freshly picked apple. Um, we loved the experience of being able to go out in the orchard and just pick our own apples. Now, the reason I'm showing you these pictures, children, is because they are connected to what I'm going to be talking about from God's Word today. So you make sure to pay very special attention to what we're talking about today. Um, I think you're going to find it very interesting what God's Word tells us. Now, there's one other group that uh, I want to just take a moment to acknowledge this morning, and that is our graduates. Um, high school, middle school, college, 
graduate school. Um, graduates, we know this has been a particularly challenging year for you. You've had your school year disrupted, especially your graduations disrupted. And so we just want to tell you we're so proud of you for persevering through this challenging season. And we want you to know we're praying for you as you go into the next season uh, of your life. I've got a list here of all of our graduates. Uh, Pastor Ryan put this together. Actually, Mrs. Rolquam put this together for me. Pastor Ryan asked her to do that. And I've got a list of all of our graduates, all our high school graduates, all our middle school graduates. There's a lot of you. Um, I'm not going to list you all, but we do want to pray for you. In fact, I want to do that right now, and then we'll look to God's word. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for every one of these young people that's on this list and our college graduates, our other graduates as well. God, we thank you for helping them this year. Uh, through this unusual season, through the challenges that they've had to face with their schooling and even the loss of the opportunity to graduate with their friends. Father, thank you for helping them. Thanks for the grace you give. And Father, we would pray now as they enter a new season, each one of them, uh, thank you for going before us. Thank you for promising to provide everything that we need. And so we pray that for our young people. Grant them everything they need, Lord, and guide their paths, we pray. And now as we turn to your word, Lord, open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears so that we might hear rightly and respond rightly to what you have for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, would you uh, take your Bibles now with me and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Uh, John, chapter 15. Um, you might already be very familiar with this passage. This is one of the most familiar passages in all of the Gospel of John. And one of the reasons why it's so well known is because of this very vivid image that Jesus uses to describe what it's like to be a disciple. He uses this picture, and it's one of the reasons why I wanted to share with you that picture of those apples hanging on a branch, not just for the children, but for all of us, to see that picture of the importance of being connected to the vine. Um, but let's read our passage, um, John chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. Um, this is God's word, and in fact, this is Jesus speaking. Here's what he says. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. 
As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Well, there is a very simple truth that I want to try to get across this morning. And I want to try to get that truth across because it's the very same truth that Jesus is trying to get across here with his disciples. Here it is. Here's the simple truth. You won't be able to bear good fruit in your life if you are not abiding in Christ. You will not be able to. We will not be able to bear good fruit in our lives. Jesus-type fruit. Jesus-tasting fruit. Jesus-smelling fruit. Uh, We won't be able to bear that if we're not abiding in Jesus. So that's the simple truth. And what I want to do this morning is to focus on two parts of that truth. First, the, the bearing fruit part. What's that all about? And then second, we'll look at the abiding in Jesus. What's that all about? So first, let's think about bearing fruit. You know, it's really interesting that Jesus doesn't say hardly anything, much at all, about the kind of fruit that he's talking about. He's just assuming that his disciples know what he means, and they do. Um, This would have been a very common, very rich, full image for them, and they would have known exactly what Jesus was communicating. He, they knew that, that he was talking about the effects uh, of their lives, the stuff that resulted from their lives, the stuff that was visible and observable and would have been beneficial to others, the fruit of their lives. Maybe Jesus has something like Psalm 1 in his mind when he's sharing this image with them. Remember Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditates day and night. He's going to be like a tree planted by streams of water that bears fruit all the time, every season. And certainly that that image is picked up by the New Testament. I think about what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Galatians. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and long-suffering, gentleness, uh, faithfulness, goodness, self-control, all of those fruit of the Spirit. I, I think we can think of fruit as anything that comes out of our lives specifically because of Christ's life in us. Anything that is specifically the result of Jesus' life flowing through us, all of those Christ-like characteristics, love, joy, peace, that's fruit. All of your Christ-honoring obedience, that's fruit. All of your your Christ-promoting witness, that's fruit. This past week, I, I watched a YouTube video that was made by a young lady in our church. Um, I think it's called Freedom in Christ. And in this just short, maybe three or four minute video, 
Um, I was so delighted to see her joy talking about freedom, her own testimony of freedom in Christ, the boldness and the excitement that I witnessed in that young lady. That's, that's fruit. Whatever is specifically a result of Jesus' life in us coming out, that is fruit. And the point is, you won't be able to bear that fruit if you're not abiding in Jesus. And we see that here in John 15 so clearly. The whole point here is that this fruit is, is natural. It grows. It's not, it's not externally kind of tacked on to our lives from the outside. No, it comes out from the inside. Fruit by its nature is natural. It comes out of some reality that is going on. It's not forced. It's not fake. We see how this comes out in verse 5. Jesus says there, by the way, this is, this is a key verse in this passage. Verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And please notice there that Jesus says, much fruit. In fact, three times in this passage, that point gets made here in verse 5, and then again in verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And earlier in this passage in verse 2, the same idea is communicated. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. There's a contrast there, and it's interesting that it's not a contrast between much fruit and little fruit. It's a contrast between much fruit and no fruit. Um, it's almost like those are the two options, much fruit or no fruit. See, the assumption is if you are abiding in Christ, there will be a lot of fruit growing in your life all the time, every year, year after year. It's natural. That's what happens in a true Christian's life. Look at verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be a true disciple. Um, so that's, that's the fruit-bearing piece. That's what will happen. And can I, can I just say, that sounds so attractive to me. That sounds so good, so spiritually healthy to me. That's what I want to be like. I want that in my life. I want to bear much fruit. So now let's look at the abiding piece. We've looked at bearing fruit. Now let's look at abiding in Jesus. What, what is that? What does it mean? What does that really mean to abide in Jesus? Is that some sort of kind of special spiritual state, you know, that we're trying all to aspire to? Or is that simply describing what Jesus means to be the normal Christian existence? Well, I believe it's that second thing, and I believe that for three very specific reasons that we see right here in this passage. First, look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So the contrast here is between abiding and a dead branch, a branch without life. 
branches that have no life in them. You see, abiding is not some special spiritual state for super spiritual Christians or maybe even just above average Christians. No, it is it is the normal experience of real Christians. We are in Christ. We've been united to Christ. And that is supported, secondly, by verse 8. Look at verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. What's the point he's making there? Disciples, real disciples, bear much fruit. That's what disciples do. Which, now third, makes the most sense of that difficult verse 2. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. If there's no fruit, well, you're really not part of the vine. Well, then why does Jesus say every branch of mine? Well, Jesus talks like this sometimes. And in fact, John emphasizes this at times. Sometimes Jesus calls people disciples who are not really disciples. We see that, for example, in chapter 6. Sometimes Jesus calls people believers who are not really believers. We see that, for example, in chapter 2. The point is that there is belief and there's belief. There are disciples and then there are real disciples. In fact, the clearest example of this is something that we saw just two weeks ago, back in chapter 13 with Judas. Remember? In fact, look there for a moment. John chapter 13. Remember, Jesus is in that upper room with his disciples, and he, he's washing their feet. And Peter says, no, not my feet. And Jesus says to, to him, Peter, listen, um, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part of me. And so Peter says, well, then wash all of me. And here's what Jesus says, verse 10. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed, does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. You know, when Jesus was with his 12 disciples out in the countryside or in the towns, I'm sure he would have said, here's my disciples. And would Judas have been among them? Yes, he was. Jesus saying, my disciples, mine. But clearly, things didn't turn out so well with Judas. He was, for a time, indistinguishable from the others. He looked just like the other branches. Listen, within every Christian community, there are those who in time will be shown to be dead branches. It's very sobering. Within every church, within every discipleship community, there are those who will at some point be shown to be dead branches. So abiding in Jesus is not some kind of higher spiritual state. It's what Jesus intends for us all as those who truly belong to him. So now... The last thing we need to do is ask, well then, what does this abiding look like? Sometimes we can hear that phrase, you know, abide in Christ, and we think, oh, that sounds kind of spiritual. It might even sound kind of mystical. 
Well, actually, it's remarkably concrete and remarkably practical. I mean, Jesus gets very specific here. He says there are four things, and he names them, four things it means to abide in me. And here's what they are. First, abiding is taking Jesus' words, taking God's word, and allowing them to have their way in us. Look at verse 7. Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, if my words are alive and active in you, we abide in Christ by letting Jesus' words speak to us and have their intended effect on us. It's it's not just that we read. We don't just read. Or we don't just memorize scripture. Or we don't just listen to sermons. No, we look to Jesus' words for life. We look to his words for strength and for hope. They abide in us. That's what abiding in Christ looks like. And second, um, abiding in Christ takes the form of prayer. Praying, really praying. Look again at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, did you notice that word if? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now that is a dangerous verse and a potentially disappointing verse if you don't read it rightly. We've got to take the second half of verse 7 with the first half of verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then pray. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If God's word, which is an expression of God's will, abides in you, that will guide your prayers to be shaped by God's will. So if you pray along those lines, God will bring it about. So so this verse John 15, 7 is a wonderful promise, but even more, it is a wonderful protection for us uh, against praying misguided, selfish prayers that have more to do with my own personal desires than they do with God's will and God's glory. So abiding looks like praying this kind of prayer. Third, abiding looks like resting in Jesus' love for you. Abiding looks like resting in Jesus' love for you. Look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. I tell you, I'm so glad that that's here. Uh, I know, I know I've got to pay attention to those first two things. I know that I need God's word. That's a way for me to abide in Christ. I know that I need to be praying these kinds of prayers. That's a way for me to abide in Christ. But this, I get to rest in Jesus' love for me. That that feels like safety. That feels like comfort. That feels like acceptance. That feels like privilege. That feels like enjoyment. That, That feels like peace to me. Then fourth, abiding looks like obeying. Abiding in Jesus takes the form of obedience. This is a connection that we can sometimes miss, or sometimes it's a connection we don't want 
to think about so much. But look at verse 10. Jesus says, if, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. You see the point, right? Obedience is a way of abiding. When we obey, when we joyfully, gladly, eagerly obey, when we make it a point to obey, we experience the goodness of God's ways and we find ourselves abiding in Jesus. And it's joyful. I mean, look at verse 11. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Um, to submit to Christ is no hardship. To, to take on the yoke of obedience to Jesus is no hardship. We experience God's goodness. It's the path to freedom. It's the path to joy. Jesus says at one point, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden down, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and you will find rest for your souls. Obedience to Christ is the path of joy. It's the path of peace. It's the path of rest. Obedience is abiding in Jesus. All right, let me wrap this up. Jesus is very clear. We won't be able to bear fruit, good fruit, Jesus-like fruit, if we are not abiding in him. Fruit bearing, this kind of fruit bearing, is not a human possibility. It is Christ's work in us. It is Christ's work through us. And Christian, Christian, you are in. You are united to Christ. You are in Christ. Abide. Take his word in. Pray with his heart, his will. Rest in his unfailing love for you and obey him. Joyfully obey him. And by so doing, you can be what God means you to be. A Christian who bears much fruit. To his glory, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's so good and it's so rich. And God, I pray that just in our time of meditating together on it, that you would use this to strengthen us, strengthen our faith, strengthen our desire to follow you with all our hearts. And Lord, I pray you would give us this joy that you talk about, your joy in us. We pray that for our own good and for the good of those around us and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now, Crossway, let me just take a few moments to uh, share with you a little bit of an update on our thinking about moving forward. We might think of this as a Crossway comeback. Um, before I share any specific information, I just want to say thank you to every one of you who prayed for us uh, this past Thursday. It was so encouraging to know you were praying, and we heard from so many of you that you were praying for us. So thank you. Here's where we are uh, for now. We would like to set a target date of June 21st, that's three weeks from now, to begin regathering on Sunday mornings. Now, I know as soon as I say that, some of you are thinking, oh, why, have to, why, do, why not this coming Sunday? And some of you are thinking, whoa, 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 that seems pretty soon. 
um, we recognize that uh, there's 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 all sorts of kind of feelings and perspectives on this, but for now, um, we are setting June 21st as a target. I want to be very clear about that. It's not a stake in the ground. It's a target, but it's a real target. It's what we are aiming at. Um, we are trying to pay very special attention to the data that is being produced by the local health department, and we're going to watch, and if certain key metrics kind of reverse the trend that they're that they're uh, experiencing now, well, we're going to pay attention to that and we may need to reevaluate our plan. Um, we want to move forward very wisely. Part of the reason that we're looking three weeks out is uh, we want to continue to watch the data even as we make preparations because it's going to take a little time for us to get things in place and to clearly communicate to you so that if God wills us to be back together on the 21st, we can do that really well. Now, I know I've said this before. Um, we want you to be ready for the fact that Sunday morning is going to look a little different for a while. Um, services will probably be, they will be a little smaller to accommodate social distancing. We may add an additional service. Services will probably be a little shorter to allow for some cleaning, uh, necessary cleaning between uh, services. There won't be children's ministry, at least for a little while, so there's going to be some changes. But it's going to be beautiful because we're going to be moving towards being back together again. We're so eager to move forward, but we're going to do it in a way that rightly manages risk as best we can, and that means we're all going to need to adjust to the new reality out of care for one another. Let me say one last thing. We know that while many of you are going to be very eager to be together on the 21st, some of you will not be ready, uh, maybe because of age, maybe because of a particular health vulnerability, or maybe because you're caring for someone who has a health vulnerability, or maybe it's just because you're not ready yet to re-engage in person. We want you to know you have complete freedom. We want to care for you well. You have a complete freedom to stay home, and we're going to continue to provide a, a, a video representation of what we do on Sunday morning to make sure that our entire family, our entire church family, can be as connected as possible. So we want to serve every member of this church family as best we can. All right, that's, that's the basic news for right now. I'll have a fuller update, more details in this coming Wednesday's letter, so be looking for that. Uh, until then, Crossway, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.